0: Who do you know that would greatly treasure the gift of forgiveness this time of year? And thirdly, the gift of compassion. That Christ suffered on behalf of sinners. He took our sin upon himself, suffering the punishment that we deserve. Likewise, a great gift to give someone who's suffering, dealing with pain, dealing with hardship, is to make sure they don't suffer alone. To weep with those who weep. To enter into someone else's hardship the way Christ entered into our world. To show compassion in the midst of their pain. You've been created in God's image. And if you're a believer in Jesus, you've been forgiven by God. And in the incarnation, God shows us compassion. These are all gifts that we can give others. Gifts that never become outdated and never go out of style. In the kingdom of God. But there's one more gift to talk about this evening, and it's far greater than treating someone with dignity, or forgiving someone, or showing compassion. As wonderful as those gifts are, this one is far, far better. We see it announced in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 10. An angel speaking to shepherds says, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. As the angel makes that announcement to the shepherds, announcing the good news of Jesus's birth, he uses a certain word, euangelion. That's the word that we often translate as gospel. It's where we get the word evangelism. That's exactly what the angel is doing here. He's doing evangelism. He's sharing the good news of Jesus with those who would listen. So the gift that we're talking about tonight is the same gift that the angel gave those shepherds. The good news of great joy. We're talking about the gift of the gospel. It's the greatest gift that you have ever been given but it's also the greatest gift that you could share with someone else. Paul describes the gospel in Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Paul writes, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. The verses that we just read are pretty simple. Paul says that at one time we were dead. But then something changed. God intervened. God sent his son born of a virgin in Bethlehem. And this pure, innocent, unstained child would one day grow up and become a man. And throughout his life, he would abstain from sin the way Adam and Eve didn't, the way you and I don't. He would ultimately die like a criminal, punished for the sin that he didn't commit on behalf of those who did. We were once dead. But then Paul continues, Ephesians 2 verse 4 Like verses 1 through 3, verses 4 through 7 are relatively easy to follow. But the content should leave us breathless. Because what Paul is saying is that because of Jesus, we who were once dead are now alive. We are saved, we are raised, we are seated with Christ, and we are destined for glory. Our standing before God has undergone a dramatic Reversal. And according to Paul, and according to the angel talking to those shepherds, that is good news of great joy. But Paul's not done. Verse 8 of Ephesians 2 For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. We who were once dead, are not alive because of things we've done. After all, can you imagine the thought of a dead man reviving himself? It's impossible. We're alive because God intervened. We're alive because God is rich in mercy, because God is loving towards sinners, because God is immeasurably gracious, and because God is eternally kind. Your salvation in Christ is purely, completely a gift It is all of grace, every bit of it, unmerited, unearned, unable to be repaid, all through faith in Jesus as Son, Savior, and Lord. And then Paul finishes in verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The good news doesn't end at verse 9. It doesn't end with us being saved by grace. It's true, we are saved, we are raised, we are seated with Christ, but we are also called, we're summoned, we are commissioned. Every single one of us is a tool in the hand of God to accomplish God's purposes. You and your entire life are to be used for God's glory above Everything else now we hear that and we think, well, what's so great about glorifying someone else in our day and age? It's all about acquiring glory, acquiring praise for ourselves. Well, as weird as it might sound, as paradoxical as it might sound, bringing God glory will bring you the greatest joy. This gospel is the greatest gift The gift that you've been given as a follower of Jesus. And like all of the good gifts that God gives his people, this gift is meant to be shared with all. It's simply too good not to be shared. And if we're unwilling to share it, one has to wonder whether or not we fully grasp just how great that gift is to begin with. Jesus himself specifically told his disciples to share this gift of the gospel. In Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, some of Jesus' last words in his earthly ministry, he tells these disciples to go out, baptize, and teach. In other words, go out and make disciples. And then Jesus' words at the very end of the passage, the very end of the book of Matthew, Jesus says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Those words sound familiar. Those words seem to echo the earliest words of the book that Matthew cites from the book of Isaiah. Matthew 1, verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So the gospel, this good news, is the greatest gift that you have ever been given. And Jesus himself specifically tells his disciples to go out and share it. But there's one more passage I want you to look at. And it's the main challenge I want to leave you with this Christmas Eve. We read it in Romans chapter 10, starting in verse 14. Paul again writes, "'How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed?' And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. After Paul explains the good news, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved, he then issues a challenge. You see, in order for someone to call on the name of Jesus... Somebody needs to tell them about Jesus. They need preachers. And allow me to suggest that tonight, you can be that preacher. You can be the person to announce the good news of great joy. The good news of freedom from sin and death and wrath. Tonight and tomorrow, many of us are going to see people and hear from people That we haven't seen or heard from it since last Christmas and we may not see or hear from them again until next Christmas. Has that uncle or aunt or cousin or grandparent or family friend heard the gospel? Have they heard the good news of great joy? And even more specifically, have they ever heard it from you? Or are they still dead? the way you once were. My challenge to you as we prepare to leave is this. Be the preacher that person needs. Don't miss your opportunity to announce to them good news of great joy. Let your feet be the beautiful feet that Paul talks about, the feet that carry the message of freedom from eternal captivity. If you've received that gift of the gospel, share it. If you haven't received that gift, I pray you'd accept it tonight. Maybe you're somewhere in between. You say you've accepted the gift, but to be honest, the gift has stayed in the box and the box is now covered in dust. Maybe this is the one time this entire year that you've even bothered to intentionally think about Christ at all. And that's just because it's Christmas Eve. And that's just what we do. Well, if that's you, I pray that tonight you would be reminded of the gift that God offers to sinners. That you would be reminded that you have been summoned, you have been called, and you have been commissioned by God Himself. And whatever you're standing before God this evening, know this an eternal gift. ...sits before you. I pray that you would open it. I pray that you would embrace it. I pray that you wouldn't take it for granted. And I pray that you would share it with those who haven't word. Be the preachers. Be the beautiful feet that preach the good news. Be like the angel who announces good news of great joy... ...that unto us a Savior is born... Let's pray. Father, thank you for your Son Jesus. Thank you that we can gather here in peace, that we can gather here knowing with the utmost confidence, with the utmost joy, that we can be reconciled to you through Christ. Thank you that we gather here as sinners saved by grace. That we've never had to prove ourselves or earn your approval or be good enough for your forgiveness, for your mercy. Thank you that Christ accomplished our salvation in his death and in his resurrection. We're finishing out the season of Advent, and this is one of those seasons where we are told to wait. And right now we wait. We wait for your son to return. I pray that you would give us faithfulness, you'd give us patience, you'd give us courage, you'd give us strength, you'd give us humility as we wait for your son to return. But I also pray that we would celebrate this evening his first coming, that Christ came for sinners. Thank you. We love you. We praise you. We ask all these things in the name of your son Jesus who wasn't just born, but who lived and died and rose and ascended and one day will return. We ask all these things in his name. Amen.